got the valid question from Wolfpack fans last week and in email form earlier today. Why is UNC football dealing with only some NCAA player suspensions right now for selling athletic gear here in 2018 when 30 years ago, this Wolfpack fan writes, NC State basketball got both probation and a postseason ban for doing basically the same thing? It is a valid question. I think there is a good answer, and here's what it boils down to as we come back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. The Wolfpack emailer is getting the facts right. The Jim Valvano Wolfpack was investigated at the end of the 1980s after an explosive book that proved to be debunked in a lot of ways. A lot of factual errors. A guy named Peter Golenbach wrote a book called Personal Fouls. There were academic improprieties alleged. There was all sorts of of NCAA violation-type behavior alleged against the administrators and the coaches beyond the players. When the NCAA got a hold of the case, none of that stuff was proven. And in fact, many factual errors were discovered in the book. But the NCAA did move forward with other aspects of the case, but none of the most explosive ones from the book. I was a young journalist, so it feels like it's coming full circle. We were, covering, we were covering an article about NCAA violations for the Wolfpack basketball players. It was both selling gear, which is the same as UNC football players right now. 30 years later, it's Carolina in football. 30 years before, it was NC State in basketball. And it was kind of a two-parter for the pack. It was selling gear against NCAA rules, and it was selling game tickets that were supposed to be for family, but that the players were selling for profit. That is also against NCAA rules. Is this an apples-to-apples comparison? If it is, well, it'd be unfair that the Tar Heels are only dealing with, I don't know, we don't know the number. It might be a dozen players who miss a single game. It might be more games. It might be fewer players. We don't know all of those details yet the way we did know them eventually back in the late 1980s. If it's an apples-to-apples comparison, that would be unfair. Something nefarious would be at play. If it's more apples-to-oranges, well, you'd have to judge for yourself. After covering NCAA compliance issues for the last 30 years, I can tell you that the way the NCAA looks through its compliance lens, there are at least two major differences between how the NCAA handled Wolfpack basketball in the late 80s and how the NCAA is currently handling NC State or UNC football here in 2018. The first has to do with the size and scope of the problem. Right now, all we know are that maybe a dozen Carolina football players are involved. From what we know now, Carolina caught what was happening, stopped what was happening, and reported what was happening, and they're still working with the NCAA to determine how many guys sold gear in violation of NCAA rules, how many games will they have to miss? Well, it's often tied to how much you sold. How frequently did you violate this rule? What was the volume of the goods you were selling? What was the price that you were collecting for those goods? Like, all of those things matter. The 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 penalty for selling your roommate a pair of cleats is going to be different than if you, if you just emptied out the athletic closet and opened your own UNC Gear R Us chapter somewhere near campus, right? Volume matters. Frequency matters. Size and scope matters. 
and again, we don't have the conclusion for Carolina, but it may be a dozen football players. It apparently was caught quickly by the administration, and they're working with the NCAA. Will it be a dozen guys? Maybe. Less, maybe. Who knows? Will it be a game or more? We're still not sure. But it will be, as the emailer correctly points out, it will be, quote, only NCAA player suspensions for the Tar Heels, at least as we see the facts right now, whereas 30 years ago the Wolfpack got something closer to a hammer when selling gear was also involved. The size and scope thing is something you must understand if you want to have an informed opinion about this. If you just want to be the guy who's loud on message boards and has conspiracy theories, even though you have no idea what you're talking about and no idea how NCAA rules work, well, go ahead. I mean, we've seen you for decades, and you don't seem embarrassed that you have no clue. Coming from a place where I've followed this stuff for 30 years and my legal background helps, I can tell you with absolute certainty that size and scope matters to the NCAA. might not matter to you. So you can have your own opinion. It definitely matters to the NCAA. When you were talking about most of the NC State basketball players selling these things hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over a four-year period, four seasons where the administration was asleep at the switch and didn't see the problem, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of violations over four years NC State in the 1980s is going to be viewed differently than a dozen players getting caught quickly enough that they couldn't do it hundreds of times and they couldn't do it for the entirety of their college career. A four-year period, again, was what the facts included in the NC State case, a much shorter, narrower period involving fewer players percentage-wise. Basketball team, 13 scholarships, most of the Wolfpack players were involved. Football team, 85 scholarships, it may have been a dozen or fewer players. So size and scope matters. It reflected far more poorly on what happened for the Wolfpack in hundreds of violations over four years than apparently, on the current facts, it applies to a much smaller number of incidents and a a smaller percentage of of those football players in Chapel Hill. Size and scope matters to the NCAA, even if it doesn't matter for you. Number two, hugely important if you're ever going to have any clue about how NCAA rules work. It matters a lot to the NCAA, even if it doesn't matter to you at all. We know some fans. If it's their school, they just want to see a way to wiggle off the hook. And if it's the school they hate, they want to see the sledgehammer. It's an emotional reaction. You don't know or understand the rules. You can have your opinion. You're entitled to it. If you want an informed opinion, if you want to be taken seriously, you at least have to understand NCAA precedent and what does and does not matter to the NCAA, even if it doesn't matter to you. They care a lot how high up the ladder the wrongdoing went. If it is simply, for example, a player or players taking money from boosters, you can get in trouble as a school, right? You might even have to vacate games because you used ineligible players who were taking money from boosters or agents. Remember the Carolina football agent scandal? Those guys, Carolina had to vacate two full seasons worth of victories and got a postseason ban on top of it. Because they were using players who had accepted too much money from agents and they were retroactively ineligible. And in the Carolina case, this is important, the Carolina agent case. 
they've had enough negative NCAA headlines in Chapel Hill lately that you gotta you gotta be specific. There was the agent problem with John Blake during the Butch Davis era where remember Marvin Austin and Robert Quinn and those guys were taking money and found to be ineligible later. There was the AFAM scandal, which resulted in no penalties. And now there's this selling gear issue that Larry Fedora's Tar Heels are dealing with in football as we speak. The NCAA cares a lot how high up the ladder goes. Player misbehavior bad. Poor supervision by people who are paid to supervise is even worse. Remember that the infamous SMU death penalty case. That didn't just involve players taking money. When they figured out all the facts, and this was the harshest penalty for a single program, SMU football, in the history of the NCAA, they found out that the players were involved, the boosters were involved, assistant coaches were involved, the head coach knew about it, even the board of trustees of the university was involved, the athletic director was involved, that was SMU. The higher up the chain, the wrongdoing goes, the more you are in jeopardy with the NCAA. It wasn't just the Syracuse player or players cheating under Jim Beheim. It was Jim Beheim's right hand man in charge of academics, specifically for basketball, who helped the dude cheat. That matters. It's not just the player, right? It's somebody who reports to Jim Beheim helping there. The Louisville scandal. It wasn't just the players with the escorts, it was Andre McGee, Rick Patino's hand selected assistant coach for a while and operations guy before that who created the problem the higher up you go with people failing to supervise or creating the problem the more jeopardy you're in with the ncaa in carolina's case right now it was found that the higher ups discovered the selling gear problem and corrected it and reported it that's what you're supposed to do in the nc state basketball case of the 1980s The facts suggested that the administrators set up a situation where they're just funneling an outrageous amount of gear through these basketball players without asking, hey, uh, guys, what are are y'all doing with all these shoes over a four-year period? What are y'all doing? We don't see your families ending up in those family tickets at these games year after year after year. In the NC State basketball case of the 1980s, The administrators fell down on the job. The NCAA hates... The the administrators invited the selling tickets illegally problem and selling shoes illegally problem by failing to supervise it. The Carolina supervisors caught the problem, like you're supposed to. Doesn't mean there's no penalties. It just means the players are going to deal with suspensions. And because it's a minor violation, Carolina, as a program or as an athletic department, is not going to be dealing with what NC State basketball did deal with. Research more on the size and scope of the problem. Again, hundreds and hundreds of examples over four years is much different than a dozen or so examples caught quickly, right? Size and scope matters. Who's breaking the rules and are supervisors doing their jobs the right way? In the Carolina agent case, remember, one of the reasons they got more than just vacating victories was that they had an assistant coach named John Blake who was getting paid by an agent named Gary Wishard to help Blake, then a UNC assistant football coach, funnel names and prospects to the guy who was the agent. 
John Blake got a show cause penalty, meaning no other school could hire him for a period of years unless they convinced the NCAA that he was worthy of another job at the college level. So Carolina not only vacated the wins that Marvin Austin and those guys played in, they got a postseason ban, they had to reduce scholarships by 15, and they got three years of probation. Why? In that Carolina football scandal, a supervisor was part of the problem. That also applies to the NC State basketball case of the 1980s. Size and scope and how far beyond players making dumb young mistakes does the scandal go? Research those two areas, and you will understand why the NC State basketball quote-unquote selling shoes case of the 1980s was different in at least two major ginormous ways than the Carolina selling gear case here in 2018.